This podcast of Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by Travelocity. You can explore great destinations by visiting Travelocity.com. France gets a bum rap. Many Americans see it as a minefield of faux pas and cultural oddities. But when you understand their culture, I find the French people are just as warm and welcoming as any other. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. My guests today are two French tour guide friends, one from the north and the other from the south. Sabine Letentouillet and Patrick Vidal spend their summers guiding Americans through France. But today, they are here to give us an inside look and a better understanding of French culture. Sabine and Patrick will tell us about some of the regional differences within France and how their country has been influenced by its neighbors. They'll explain how France aims to preserve its own sense of identity in an increasingly globalized world, where it often seems they've been lashed by Levi's and smashed by the Big Mac of American culture. Coming up, it's French Culture 201 for the American Traveler. Plus, we're taking your calls on some of the best and worst foods you've experienced in your travels. It's all just ahead as we travel with Rick Steves. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and it's time for a peek at the intricacies of French culture that challenge so many of us American travelers. Let's call it French Culture 201, coming up on today's Travel with Rick Steves. But first, let's start with your calls at 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. As we pose the question, what are some of the most interesting foods and drinks you've experienced in your travels? I'll never forget cracking that raw egg onto my rice for breakfast in Kyoto. Or the Bulgarian who showed me how the eyes of the goat head were actually the most prized delicacy. And the barnacles you eat like beer nuts with your drink in Portugal. What was your best dining experience on the road? What was the worst? I'd love to hear your stories at 877-333-7425 or by email, radio at ricksteves.com. And Susie on the line in Gambrillus, Maryland. Hi, Susie. Hi there. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. Uh, Tell us uh, some of your food memories. Well, we have a lot. My husband and I consider ourselves foodies, and we try not to rule out anything when we eat other than we both have the motto of take us not to the house of organs. We're not fond of organ meat. Oh, there's a reason to have a phrase book right there. <laughs> so, um, and, and we do travel with your phrase books with us. And we were in Paris and we were trying to follow your philosophy of don't give in to jet lag. Just keep moving, keep going, try to get acclimate yourself as quickly <laughs> as possible. So we also had in our hip pocket some places to eat from um, my husband's cousin who was a French professor and did a lot of exchange work in Lyon, but always spent a few days in Paris and even built a, a baker, um, a, a bread oven, you know, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So we went to some of his favorite restaurants, and so you know, we're jet-lagged, we're tired, and we get there, and I pull out my phrase book. Neither of us speak French. Um, I took foreign language for singers in college, so unless you sing it in operetta, I couldn't order it. Foreign language for singers? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> See, I have that problem because I speak, the Italian I speak is piano Italian. You know, I can say andante or lento. Largo. <laughs> so we, uh, Con brio, por yes, favore. Yes. So we get there at the fashionably appropriate time, 8.30, 9 o'clock, and the bistro is very crowded and all locals. And so we sit down and there's no menu. He just brings us a chalkboard. And so I'm trying to look at my little menu guide, phrase guide in my in my purse and just pull it out. I said, oh, they know we're tourists at this point. And I finally found something that sort of corresponded to the chalkboard. And I said, okay, this is it. This is veal stew. This will be good. 
and so ordered it for my husband, ordered something else for myself. Well, it came to our table, and it was beautifully arranged, obviously not a stew. It was a salad with slices of meat on top of it, but it looked suspiciously like a very rich meat. And what we had ordered was veal, I believe the pronunciation is ronyon, um, veal kidneys. Mm. And well, that's a rich meat. Yes. And you're hungry and you're tired, but mm. not that hungry. Oh, <laughs> boy. That's, you know, with my wife, we, we like to have an experience, but we don't like to order two things that we just can't stomach. So oftentimes we'll order one high risk and one low risk. <laughs> well, I got the frites. <laughs> and you got, the, you got the, yeah, you're stuck with the steak and fries when you yeah. do that. But, uh, you know, when you're in France, they really have a passion for their, uh, for their organs, don't they? They're, they're sweet meats. Nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted. And, uh, Boy, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of queasy about a lot of those, but uh, the salad guise, is that what you call it? The, mm-hmm. And it's literally like gizzard salad, and it is delightful. It's rich, it's beautiful, and it's one of the things that I look for on a French menu. An acquired taste. An acquired taste, that's right. Hey, Susie, thanks for your call. No problem. Happy travels. Bye. And Barry from Corvallis, Oregon. Hi, Barry. Hey, how you doing, Rick? I'm doing good. I'm hearing about people's terrible food experiences. You got something uh, that can brighten my day a little bit? Tell me about good Ab- food. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've used your travel services many times, and your flex pass deal on the train, of course, is the best deal I've ever found. Well, that's I good. Was in London on the train, went through the channel on your flex pass uh, in '97 when they first opened it. You know. Oh yeah. But uh, the German trains, of course, are all good. And the food is always excellent. You must have the soup, which you probably have had many times yourself. You're talking about you're soup on, on the train. You actually ate on the train and had a good meal? Absolutely. Interesting. The train out of Frankfurt going through the Black Forest. Oh, the uh, lentil and sausage soup was the best hmm. soup I had throughout Europe, as a matter of fact. Because, you know, i got to say, Barry, I walk through the dining car on the trains, and I think, hmm, this must be overpriced. But you do see a lot of uh, local people that seem to know what they're doing, and they're eating very well. Absolutely. And and myself, I like the perspective you have of the affordability, obviously, in all your travels, which is really a, an attitude. And uh, for me, it takes training. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to... Because I tend to overspend, you know. Yeah. Now, did you eat well in France? Yes, and France, I was at Moet and Chandon in Epernay as a, a guest, and it's one of the finest dining experiences of my life. Wow. And it's, it's a non-restaurant. It's by invitation only. Uh, After taking the tour of the caves at Moet and Chandon, you know, they have Chateau de Saran out in the countryside, Okay, let's catch our let's catch our listeners up to speed on this. You're talking about Moet et Chandon. That's the the top sort of most prestigious French uh, champagne cob that you can tour, I think. Exactly. In the exactly. town of in the town of Epernay. Which yeah, in is, Epernay in the Champagne region. That's just a couple hours France. out of Paris, and uh, it's near Reims, the town where. Exactly. You, now remember, um, you can't. There's champagne made all over Europe, but you can only call it champagne if it's made in the region of Champagne. And that's Epernay correct. is the champagne capital. That's where right. that monk who invented it ran through the monastery halls, <laughs> telling his brothers, yeah. <laughs> "Brothers, come quickly! I'm drinking stars." Can you imagine that? Well, they have a nice little story that you know Moet sells as part of their uh, Dom Perignon product that, I'm, I'm, that they're well known for. You I'm know? a sucker for that story, Barry. And you actually well, ate well there. Well, you're not alone there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The beauty of the chateau is every morning when you get out of your room. 
there's a bottle of vintage Brut Moet waiting and a pitcher of orange juice wow. on on the uh, coffee table. You know, <laughs> it's it's just an experience to behold. You got You got to know the some. The dining was excellent, and uh, you know it's a typical seven course French meal that is gratis when you're you know invited. You know that's interesting that you say that because the only time I've been to a classy French. Um, dining experience, I was um, being honored by the mayor of one of the arrondissements in Paris, who where I've sent really? a lot of business through my, my guidebook in this Rue Claire area, you know, and uh-huh. she invited me to the to the palace, and they pulled out the most delightful um, uh, uh, little finger foods and, uh, and pastries, Exactly. and I didn't realize food could be so good, and now that you mention it, it's just this, you become more of an elite when you're invited away from the restaurants and you're just exactly. part of a special festival or a, a grand party. Exactly. Uh, in fact, uh, I had the privilege to uh, sleep at their Chateau de Saran after we had 24 people come for dinner <laughs> in a white glove, you know, comped meal that was par excellence. In fact, I was a little apprehensive of the gar that was being served out of the local river, you know, because there's so much pollution throughout Europe in general. The gar? Is, is is that a fish? Gar. You know, it's a fish called okay. gar. Did you get sick? It's like a fresh one. No, no. No, okay. it was excellent. Well, it turned out good. to be turned out to be very good. And what what I had trouble getting used to was every time I turned around the and put my fork down, it would disappear. How and so? I never saw the waiter in the room, you know, hmm. <laughs> be replaced by another one. It's an experience. I'll have to uh, <laughs> I don't get talk that... to my friends in the wine business. I'll see what I can do for you. You're not learning many tips for the budget traveler, Barry. <laughs> hey, thanks for it your... Was, it was comp. It was, it was comp. Great. It was free. You need to write a guidebook on free Europe for the aristocracy. <laughs> Barry, thanks. thanks for your call, Barry. Hey, thank you, Rick. All right, happy My travels. All and right. I love your services. Thank you. Keep up the good work. I hope to. Thank you. 877-333-RIC. That's 877-333-7425. Or send us an email. It's easy. Just send us an email at radio at ricksteves.com. Let us know what you're thinking. Email us radio at ricksteves.com. And Sandy's on the line here from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I uh, got some food stories for us. Yes. Actually, mine are more related to drinking. Oh, tell me. Um, the best mojito I've ever had, surprisingly enough, I had in Cuba. And I can't seem to get one as good anywhere in the States, although they are very trendy right now. Mojito. I'm not very trendy. What is a mojito? Well, it's kind of the Cuban version of, if you're familiar with uh, mint julep, except that it's made with rum and... Uh, it's, and it's made with lime juice. It's very good. Okay, so you were in Cuba. I was. And did uh, our president know that you were in Cuba? Um, I hope not. <laughs> I don't think he would appreciate that. How, how did you get there? I went through Toronto. Good for you. I think it's the number one uh, destination in the Caribbean for Canadians. I, I would believe that. Did you feel like you were doing something wrong by uh, going against American uh, restrictions about us going there for trying the mojitos? You know, I that wasn't the reason I went. I actually went to... Um, experience some of the people and and actually get outside of the resorts but uh i didn't actually feel like i was doing anything wrong while i was there and i met some wonderful people i can't say that the food was as good as the drink but i think that is a lack of basic good raw materials and yeah but i, I understand the cuban rum is pretty good 
Oh, it was very good. I, I highly recommend it. So you're saying once you get back after having your Cuban mojitos, it's just not the same in the States? It's not. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in Mexico City, and I had the same experience with the margaritas. So Isn't there that you go. Something? Yeah, you know, that's one bad thing about travel is it's just not right when you get home. <laughs> that's right. Hey, uh, Sandy, when you were in Cuba, did you find that the seafood was any good? Were you able to get a good meal? The only place that we were able to actually get seafood was in a paladar and someone's home. Uh, as you have mentioned before, that's one of the... Uh, restaurants that people put in in their home that has restricted number of seats. And um, the Cubans aren't real fond of seafood as a rule. That's what I've heard, is that they just uh, sort of turn their back in the sea from a cuisine point of view. They do. They would much rather have beef, which is probably not good for the landscape, but uh, will settle for pork or chicken. They're just not uh, as likely to eat seafood. And you know, they would do very well serving it mm-hmm. to the people that do come to visit. So generally you're saying the food situation in Cuba was not that great. No, it was. It really wasn't. And we were glad that we brought things with us because we were able to share things yeah. like trail mix and candy with some of the people that we met, and they really enjoyed yeah. it. You know, I've been in countries uh, far, farther south in Central America, and in, uh, especially during tough times when they've got some civil unrest and so on, and it's the, even fancy restaurants have a very limited menu. And uh, we used to joke that, uh, you know, you go to a nice restaurant and you get a choice, rice and beans or beans and rice, and <laughs> it was literally that. That's true. Yeah, but at least they got the good mojitos. That's right. All right. Thanks, Sandy. Thank you. And happy travels. Thank you. There's a lot to uncover about France. We're exploring the ins and outs of Francophilia. Just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Ben Curtis, and I used to live in Budapest. That was Hungarian for I travel with Rick Steves. Bonjour. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. And today we're traveling through the minefield of French culture for the American traveler. We want to understand the most complex and, I think, rewarding culture that you can become an expert in in your travels. When you travel through France, the more you understand the French, the more fun you're going to have and the more you're going to like the French people that you encounter. And I've got two good friends of mine here from France. We've got Patrick Vidal from Gascony in the near the Spanish border in France, but living in Brittany now, and Sabine Le Toutier. Is that correct? <laughs> Please tell me your name, Sabine. Le Teinturier. Sabine Le Teinturier. This is one of the problems with the French language. No, it's your problem. It's my problem. <laughs> Very good. So, Sabine, thank you for joining us. And you're from Languedoc? Yes, I'm originally from Paris, and um, I live now in the Languedoc region, 
which is just above the Spanish border on the Mediterranean. All right. And uh, Patrick, Gascony. Tell me about Gascony. Well, Gascony is the area down southwest of France. It's the deep French southwest. And uh, that's the reason where, the, the region where uh, comes from the, uh, the foie gras, the uh, all the food with ducks and uh, all that kind of thing. Cassoulet? Very, very nice. Cassoulet, Cassoulet is a little bit more central than that, that but okay. not very far. So the the south of France. And today you live in Brittany. Today I live in Brittany, yeah. And, uh, and that's and not French at all. It's Celtic, right? It's different, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, different well, France is different all over. I mean, diversity is fr- in France is the big, big thing. I mean, that is. If you're next to the Spanish border, you've got uh, paella and bullfights. If you uh, if you go to Nice, you've got uh, pizzas. So and if you go to Alsace, you've got beer. And you've got, yeah, so you say vive la différence. Vive la différence. What does that mean when you say that? I mean, oh, I know it means, uh, you know, here's for the, di- let's celebrate the difference, but what do you mean when you say that to somebody? But, you know, in fact, this sentence is not that much used in France. I mean, it's kind of, a, it's more of a cliche than mm-hmm. anything else. Uh, people will not necessarily use the sentence in, uh, or to, just to say to people, you're right to be different or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, it's not that used that no. much, this sentence. But you enjoy the differences. Of course. I mean, to, to me, traveling through France is, uh, is is, uh, is almost traveling through Europe, just speaking the same language. So true, isn't it? It's, France is the size of Texas, but you're right in the middle. So you're bordering, you got Italian culture in the Riviera. Yeah, the Italian culture, we are surrounded by the sea. You know, we really look to the sea. We, basically, in France, you know, that's the ocean. I mean, we are the tip of the western so you've got the, you've got the Italians and you've got a lot of Italian influence in the Riv- in the Riviera. You've got a lot of Spanish influence down mm-hmm. uh, in Gascony where you're from. Mm-hmm. Cal- Celtic yeah. influence in uh, in Brittany. You got the so the Irish connection right o- right across the way. Absolutely, yeah. With Brittany and uh, you've got uh, Flemish in the northern part. Yeah. And the, and the Germans on Alsace. Mm-hmm. And German There's Alsace. five regional languages in France. What are those? So you have the Breton, where actually Patrick is from. Mm-hmm. You have the Alsacien, the Alsace, you right. know, just bordering the Rhine mm-hmm. and Germany. You have uh, where I live, the Occitan, the L'Occitan, mm-hmm. the Languedoc, huh? right. the Occitan. You have the Corse language, you know, Corsica. Mm-hmm. It's actually Corsica, right. Corsica that we don't often talk about, but that has a very strong regional culture. We have the Basque. All right. And actually we have another one, which is the Provençal. All right. And these are more distinct than a lot of travelers would realize. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, the American comes in, it's just France. But for you yes. guys, it's... it's. You can tell, um, like, for example, like, I'm not originally from the Languedoc region. And believe me, as soon as I speak, they know that I'm one of those invaders from Paris. <laughs> is that right? Oh, yes. The wow. You know, that southern accent is very strong. They're so... The, the country, as you said, you know, is the size of Texas. And there's diversity... There's diversity in the culture, in the region, but also as far as the climate, as far as the geography, because we have three mountain ranges. Right. I think until people really come to France and really travel through France, it's very difficult to quite realize how a country that size can have, you know, four different climates. Okay, now with all these regions, you can characterize these regions. If I say a region, tell me in a nutshell what what, what comes to mind. Bordeaux, mm. wine, wine, Burgundy, wine, <laughs> <laughs> Loire. Oh, we can th- wine. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, we're going to start over. You can't say wine. There's wine from every region. Okay, something other than wine. Okay, okay. Bordeaux. Le- Bordeaux. 
Well, Bordeaux is uh, just kind of a really uh, a downsized Paris. Downsized Paris. Okay, that's downsized interesting. Downsized Paris. Burgundy. I mean, beautiful, beautiful buildings, but mm-hmm. also very good wine, which really doesn't take anything away from the buildings. Okay, so Bordeaux, we can break the rule. Wine. Okay. Wine, okay. <laughs> okay, Burgundy. Burgundy, the the image of France. What what the foreigners have got as an image of France would be Burgundy, rolling hills and and very very quiet landscape and okay. uh, like we uh, say profound. Or do you say profound yeah, France? Yeah, France profonde. Yeah, mm-hmm. France profonde. That yeah, would be quintessential France, Burgundy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Loire Valley. The chateau. Yeah, the chateaus. You know, really, the Renaissance. And the you have chateaus from every age there. Uh, yes, really, it's really the gardens of France. You know, it really borders again the Loire. Uh, just a wonderful soil. Beautiful a from plains. a production point of view, but also beautiful, um, elegant palace gardens and so on. Also, yes, yes. it's also the the cradle of French language. I mean, the, the cradle if, of the French language. Okay. If if you think of a BBC French accent, right. that's the Loire Valley accent. Loire. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. Brittany. Brittany. Oh, Celtic rules. I just like. Uh, Celtic. Festivals and parties and, and mystery stories and the bagpipes, uh, bagpipes and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, lace, I mean, lace bonnets. Put the music on and you think you're in Ireland. I mean, there's yeah. no question about uh, it. Cider. Cider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Normandy. Oh, the three C's. <laughs> Tell me what the three C's are. You've told me many times. Cider, Calvados, Camembert. Cider. Calvados. No, this is no, a cliché. This is a Rick Steve cliché. Okay, tell me what, what Normandy is for uh, not Okay, a Normandy, just rolling, you know, just green pastures. Cows, actually. Okay, dairy. 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 Very beautiful. Very All pastoral right. uh, views. Provence. Provence. Sun. Big skies. Big skies. Small villages. Cicadas. Crickets. No, no, no. Cicadas. What are... What are those They things? go... Little insects. Like, like crickets. Like, like, yeah, they're like they sort of French... Crickets with a French accent. Yeah, but they, they're prettier than crickets. <laughs> okay, pretty crickets. Pretty crickets. Elegant French crickets. What's the word again? Cigale. Cigale, which is actually the the good luck charm of Provence. And you can hear them. There are like uh, millions of them in the Unfortunately, trees. Unfortunately, well. yes. When they but start... They have become the symbol of Provence nowadays. If you start a movie anywhere and you want to to show that it's Provence, just put the sound of the crickets behind and everybody knows, hey, oh, it's Provence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what kind of food in Provence? Vegetables. Vegetables? Vegetables, yeah. Just right. really, really uh, food that just... There hasn't been really much to it. Very, very savory, very fresh herbs. Simple quality. Uh, just, um, you know, you, you're going to be shopping at the market. It's going to be a lot of fresh vegetable, um, olive oil, olive oil, garlic, right. okay. herbs of Provence. La uh, Côte d'Azur, the French Riviera. Côte d'Azur. Oh, the Côte d'Azur is so varied. You know, the, the cliché is like Nice, you know, the mm-hmm. beaches. Uh, but the Côte d'Azur has also some magnificent villages, uh, some little creeks. Off of the coast, you mean? Inside. Off the coast. So you should grow interior for that. Absolutely. If you're going to be going, like, if you're going to hit the biggies of the Riviera, for one thing, I'd just like to to just really define the Riviera. It starts, it's west, okay, no, east. I have a problem with it, my east and my west. East of Toulon. East of Toulon, okay. Is the Riviera, the right. French Riviera. And then to the Italian co- border. Yes, and then it continues, you know, the Italian okay. Riviera. But that part of it is called the Riviera. Right. The Dordogne. British people like the Dordogne. Mm, British people love the Dordogne. Why? Yeah. 
Well, because uh, when they started to move down there, it was very cheap. Most of the French people didn't want to live anymore in those little villages okay. down there, and a lot of, of places to be restored, renovated there. Right. And it was cheap to do. The, the climate was nice. was still not too far from England. And, uh, and, and now a lot of a lot of British people own homes there now. Oh yeah, it's coming they colonized now. They've got their colonized by the British. Oh yeah, they've got the uh, newspaper. They've got the the uh, estate agents. They've got uh, shops. Didn't, didn't they own that area during uh, Richard the yeah, Lionheart time a, also? That's a good return of the. So they returned. Story, yeah, yeah. Centuries yeah. later, they're back. We've never been able to get rid of them. Can't get rid of those Brits. No, they and always they like come the back. Foie gras. If you your know, foie gras wasn't so good. They just talk about the French, but basically, if we were not there, they couldn't live without us. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I mean, ask them. Yeah. Okay, They're well, all in France. I see what you mean. Yeah. It's their, well, I don't blame them. No. Vacation and I wonder, France. actually, you know, in 10, 20 years, who's going to be living in England? They'll all be in France, if they can afford it. What about Alsace? Alsace, Alsace. Beer. Sauerkraut. Wonderful uh, Alsatian wine. Hmm. The Rhine River. So you, you, as a French person, like the Alsatian wine. I thought it was sort of a simple white German no, style. No, no, you have very light. It's, it's so different from the rest of the white wines all around France. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's oh, more okay. sweet. It's more. It's very different. So, right. so yeah, people like the Alsatian wine in France. Now, what yeah. region did I miss out of those? Is there any other great place? Well, that we look at me. Ah, Languedoc. Languedoc. See, people. I don't even know Languedoc. Well, entice you know, me. It's uh, the Languedoc. The Languedoc is the best place to be. Pourquoi? This is kind of like really. Okay, here you are, just this is like this turning point, you know, going from the Provence towards Spain. Okay. Basically, you have to go through the Languedoc region. There you go. So, and this this was part, actually, it was at one point called Occitania. With its own language. With its own language, and it continues to have its own language. Like the, I live in this little village of 1,300 people. Right. About 30 kilometers west of Montpellier. Right. And some of the old people, if, you know... I don't understand a word they say. Really? In fact, that's what Languedoc means, right? The language the of long, the, the... Yeah, the language of the Oc. Okay. Now, we've, France is not all purely French. You've got Celtic Britons. Mm-hmm. You've got Basque people who are related to nobody in mm-hmm. Western Europe. You've got Corsica and a lot of Germans in Alsace. How is the status of these non-French parts of France? Is there is there discord now or is... Uh, are, are things are, are people getting along? I remember when I started traveling... Um, Britain people couldn't, there couldn't even be Brittany music or, or names or something. No, like it that. has, actually, it has changed uh, over the last 15 years. You know, there was a point, there was a time, which is kind of really interesting because the, the opposite is happening in the U.S. as far as California, but we're talking about France, so we'll stick with France. As far as the regional languages, uh, they come from the point as far as uh, teaching foreign languages that uh, if you do not recognize the culture and and the language of that culture, you dismiss that culture by not allowing someone to speak their own language. So the the language of a region is really part, the intricate part, you know, kind of the essence of that culture. Okay, so Basque people, Britain people, Corsican people, they can still speak their dialect. You, is it respected? Oh yes, and it's actually uh, taught in uh, in school. And it's actually growing. I would say. Yeah, it's, I don't it's think a it's a movement. Yeah, it's, it's a, a movement. movement. The, uh, the f- but the it's thing not threatening is Paris anymore. No, it's no. historically the French Revolution have kind of put a lid on all those things there, and uh, they wanted France to be centralized, starting from Paris. That's the whole uh, thing, wasn't it? Centralized France around Paris. So all those regional yeah. ideas there will disappear there. 
and uh, they're considered subversive. You didn't absolutely, want that. yeah, yeah. And the all the way up to the 1960s, 1970s, right. where the oldos movement rediscovered the uh, that kind of uh, their music, their identity, their culture, their hmm. language. There. So there's a renaissance. Absolutely, and from there, it started to rebuild itself, and and in the strong region like Corsica, like Basque, mm-hmm. like uh, like. Okay, Bobby, so like there is a strong there. spirit in these places. Absolutely, today. there is. Right. There is, yeah. Languages are, are not that much spoken there because a lot of people are realizing. It's well, nice to speak the language, yeah. but what, are, what, are, what am I going to but do But the local it? pride is still there. Local pride is still there. Mm-hmm. Great. Absolutely. We have some people on the phone that would like to talk to us. We have Randy on the line in Colorado Springs. Hi, Randy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Any comments or questions for Patrick or Sabine? Sabine, spell your last name. It's L-E-T-E-I-N-T-U-R-I-E-R. We have this in French. We just... Uh, you know, we we are complex. You like they, letters. <laughs> we love adding letters to just really oh, to get you I, totally confused. Le teinturier. Le teinturier. Ah, wow. ça c'est bien. Ça c'est bravo. Merci. Je vous en prie. <laughs> uh, my language skills are interesting because I'm a very visual person, and so you know, learning French is something you have to be able to hear. So I can read. French novels and yet listening to people speak is more difficult because all of those silent letters are not visible. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Wow. Uh, it's difficult. It's probably the most difficult European language to learn, I think. Well, you're doing a good job. I love the language. I have. I've been very fortunate. I had um, studied in high school and from college, but eight or ten years ago, I met a, a woman in our area where we lived who was native from France, and she grew up in Paris, but her mother grew up, um, let me see if I can remember, in Limoges, and her father was from Normandy area, and um, so she was not, she was raised with more rural traditions than than she would have been if she'd been raised by Parisian parents, you understand, and, um, but she taught me a great deal, and we spoke for an hour each week. I think it's the only way really to learn a language is to use it, you know. Uh, still, my language skills are not very good because my grammar is terrible. <laughs> you just need to come and visit France? I need to come more often. We did yeah. get to come, and I loved it. And it was so fun because Michelle uh, told me that, she said, the people in Paris are a little... They're well, wonderful people. Wonderful, but she said, they're more snobby about the language. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I'll tell you, it's so cute because... Some of them would say, oh, speak English, because I don't think they liked my language. At first, they were a little less patient, but as I continued to speak, you know, um, I got them to smile. And then when we were in the more rural areas, you know, um, fewer people knew, knew English, or at least were not as comfortable using it. And I found that they were very, very friendly and anxious to talk and anxious to share so we had a wonderful time. It wasn't, you know, there really weren't that many people that didn't want to speak. Well, you got the right attitude about the language, I think, Randy. Yeah, but you need to sp- continue practicing it. Oh, That's we, the only way you're going to get better at it. We, uh, <laughs> we have to tell you something really funny. We, we were looking for uh, Le Metro, and, uh, you know, the train, we were supposed to be close to us, but uh, apparently I misunderstood what the hotel clerk said. He told us to turn left, and we turned left, but he meant left out of the door of the hotel, <laughs> the corner or something. So we were walking around looking for, and I kept asking these people, you know, on the street, Où est le métro? 
over and over again, you know, where is the metro? <clears throat> and they'd point me, you know. Well, we finally found them. We had a really nice day. Well, the next day was, we were only there for about three days. And the next day we were um, wandering around Paris. And a young man came up to us, and I he was from someone in south of France and apparently had never been to Paris. He was native. And he came up and he said, Où est le métro? So he was asking us, and I had just been asking the same question the day before. I just thought that was so much fun. Well, you got that sentence down really well. Well, <laughs> I, I would prefer, when I go again, to spend more time with people rather than um, – we didn't have a lot of time. And um, in other countries, we know people that live, for instance, in Germany and Norway and so on. But I don't have friends who live in France, so I would like to be able to get to know people in the rural areas and visit with the people in the country rather than spending time in the big cities and, you know, touristing. Because to me, that's how to get to know people and to enjoy. And all of us are the same people. We just have to get to know each other's customs. That's yeah. for sure. Randy, that was a great idea. Thanks a lot for your call. Thank you. Our exploration of France and its many cultures continues in just a moment on Travel with Rick Steves. Call us at 877-333-RICK or send us an email at radio at ricksteves.com. Eight seven seven three 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 Rick. It's travel with Rick Steves. We're visiting with my friends Patrick and Sabine, and we're exploring Western Europe's biggest and most diverse country, France. You know, a lot of our lang- Americans are so famous for not speaking French well, and uh, a lot of our language is creeping into the French language. Is that uh, considered a threat by the French government or the French people? What, what are you doing to preserve the French language in the global economy? Well, there's plenty of things happening. I mean, a, a couple of years ago, they, uh, they passed this law about uh, having some ratios for quotas for, uh, for Anglo-Saxon music on radios. 
So what does that mean? So that means that uh, for for most of the radios in France, they wouldn't be allowed to put more than 40% of of non-French music on radio. So some Mm. radios have turned the the difficulty around and they they pass the French music all night long. uh, Oh, really? They play that? mm. Overall, they can can play 40% non- French. Non French. So so the, the From the midnight till six in the morning exactly. all French and <laughs> all they can French. have majority and English. they can do whatever they want the rest of the day. Oh my goodness. And the, the French Academy, the uh, as uh, as kind of this the people, the, uh, the the this bunch of old people working on the the French dictionary there, they kind of uh, said as well, we can't accept any English words in the language there. They're working on it. it. It just doesn't work. It's hard. I mean, to, it's like stopping the tide. You really. can't stop it. I mean, it's just. Aren't just there even? Happen. Aren't there even tax penalties for businesses that have English words in no. their name no, or something no, like this? No, no, that's a myth. That's, that's a myth. A myth. Okay. No, no. So there's no, because as we get to into the high technology, yeah. you know, believe it or not, we yeah. have computers too in France, yeah. and iPods. And, and do you all call it software? We call it. What do we call it? Do we call it logiciel. The oh, software is logiciel. Okay, yeah, we so do, do translate. But I mean, you know, the English words are, I mean, you cannot live without them. I mean, I say we can and okay. But you know, we, uh, when you look at the English language, it's full of French words as well. So. But you just mis- mispronounce them. A lot of them, a lot of them are coming back. So that's, that's fair, right. That's fair enough. And, uh, your, your country, your language might be overrun with, uh, English words and your countryside is overrun with tourists also. As French people, where do you go if you want a vacation in France without, uh, international tourists? Well, actually, for me, I went to Brittany. Brittany? This, um, yeah, from the Languedoc, it's actually probably the furthest I could go. And I. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. I loved it because we. I camped. Um, I went with my daughter and we crossed actually central part of France, uh, via. and then just through Bordeaux, and then we went all the way to the Finistère, which is. Uh, uh, just like as you enter Brittany, you know, you continue right. down. And it was just absolutely a magnificent trip and um, just really enjoyed it. Just too bad I didn't have enough time. It's always the problem. But, um, yeah, they're just, um, there's so many, so many parts. But you had a lot of time for your vacation, I would imagine. The French sort of uh, invented the vacation, I think, La Vacation. In five weeks. Five, five weeks, weeks minimal. Americans have this romanticized image of French as just the joie de vivre and enjoying all the fine food and enjoying the vacation, uh, Club Med, everything. Uh, is that romanticized or do you really have a, a forte for enjoying uh, your yes. It's a little bit of the two. I yeah. mean, it's uh, it's uh, certainly a little bit exaggerated and a little bit uh, cliché, but it does exist, yeah, of course. I mean, people uh, like their time off, and uh, I mean, it's 35 hours a week for most of the people in France as well. And 35 hours a week, is that 35, the, 35 hours, yeah. So it's not hours. everybody, but uh, it's, uh, and it's kind of uh, stepping back to 39 hours. But so uh, it's, you're having to roll back on that a little bit to compete in the global economy or something? Ab- absolutely. They realized that they couldn't put that on, on absolutely every company. But you know, as far as the work week and the week vacation, this is not typical of France. It's all over Europe. You wouldn't brag about the number of hours that you spend at the office. It's the amount of weeks that you're going to be going on vacation. And if you time it right, of tying those holidays, um, it's that's really that's what really you aim for. So the vacation is a big part of your year. 
it's yeah if you really play your cards right between the holidays and your five weeks you can really have some really good weekend and some good time with your family which i think is really essential oh yeah it is an interesting time because uh, france is part of you know obviously the 25 countries of europe and we have to actually compete you know with with other Right. With other countries, so and this actually, is part of the EU, the whole yeah, absolutely, and so here. so France is actually has the highest, the the cost of labor is the highest in France. The cost of labor is the highest in, in all France. of Europe in France. In France, why is that? Well, uh, because we have uh, really wonderful social benefits, and to have social benefits, you have to pay into it. Right. There's a minimal wage, and an employer has to give, you know, five mm-hmm. weeks paid vacation. And basically, for, for example, new countries entering the EU, there is a, a shift of mm-hmm. the labor. And, you know, you can also think of that. I mean, maybe that's getting a little more yeah. specialized. But, but yes, yes. I mean, it is, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bigger world. Now, I imagine... As French tour guides, it must get a little old always hearing about how tough Americans have a tough challenge uh, figuring out the culture and everything. But I'm just a classic American, and I've had the benefit of 20 years of traveling with France and in France. And I know that the more I understand France, the more I appreciate it and enjoy it. You guys bring uh, Americans around on your tours. What is is there a fundamental difference in outlooks or or, or something that that you think causes this challenge for Americans when they go to France? Formality. 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 French people are very formal. The language is very formal. The uh, the approach of people is very formal. It's not being more polite. It's just being more formal, using more polite words. You've got to say again and again and bonjour really and au revoir. And it's very important to the French to the people. French people. Yeah. And you can't go. You can't enter a shop somewhere and say hi. It just doesn't work. You've got to go bonjour monsieur, bonjour madame, and so on. So you need to uh, spend some energy learning these fine points yeah, of the culture. Absolutely. And it breaks a lot of uh, of. Uh, Tell me how France has changed from De Gaulle times. I was too young. <laughs> but I mean, that's a lot of Americans remembered De Gaulle's France. That was really the um, chauvinistic uh, France, I think. No, it's the, chauvinistic is the uh, idea that the American have of De Gaulle, and right. uh, there, there was a complete misunderstanding about what De Gaulle was saying and what De Gaulle was wanting. All De Gaulle was saying is France want to rebuild itself, itself. Okay, want so to do it itself. Want to, want to not wants to have uh, American companies and American money coming on the on the on the scene there, and need to if you want to protect your your identity, your culture, your language, you want to do it yourself. You've got your self pride as well, and you want to do it yourself. And a lot of that have been understood as, okay, thank yeah. you for saving us from the German, but uh, go away from our country. And it was not that simple. That's not black and white like that. It's so that's the post World War II 1950s kind mm-hmm. of France. And you had been uh, pretty much uh, devastated by World War Two. Of course, yeah. There was a lot and of work to rebuild the country. And a lot uh, of money coming in with the Marshall Plan. Absolutely, yeah. But the French, yeah. uh, you had your, your great hero from the War de Gaulle running yeah. the country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of pride on, on saying, we can do it ourselves. I so mean, it was a heroic struggle, and some people misunderstood it as chauvinistic. That's that's our point of view. I, I mean, think that's that makes kind sense. Of a, I didn't think about that, yeah. but that makes a mm-hmm. lot of sense. Mm-hmm. All right. And actually, you know, just to... As far as we're talking about De Gaulle, mm-hmm. but um, uh, interestingly, I mean, in, I picked up a magazine before I got um, to the airport, and there was about a study about the Mitterrand era. Right. You know, because actually they, we've had a few presidents since De Gaulle. Sure. <laughs> and uh, Mitterrand is one that has really marked the 70s and the 80s, I mean, the 80s particularly, was a socialist president and just kind of there was this wave of, you know, things were going to be different. And so so 
it has really evolved. I mean, this is this is a country that is not about all historic buildings or historic monuments. This is a living country, and people are adjusting to a bigger world, and they travel more, and we have more technology. It's kind of unfortunate to keep those ideas of, like, for example, you know, and, and I have, uh, I understand that because I, uh, some of my two members, you know, are mentioning that, like, for example, there was this, um, this older man that uh, mentioned to me that the last time that he was here was um, during this, you know, after the Second World War. And he was part of the army and stationed there. And then he left and it was his first time back. Mm, and there was that, you know, that kind of really bitter, bitter taste of, you know, here we are, we know, we helped you. And it's, it, he was still using the present, mm. the present tense, you know, to describe that. And, uh, you know, kind of went home just feeling, uh, I mean, I cannot blame him, just mm. feeling like, you know, here he went, away from his family and things like that but I mean time passes and just 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 like now I mean you know September 11 I mean the Iraqi invasion um, events changes but I mean we are moving on there's other crises mm-hmm. there are other conflicts and people um, you know are going along with that and Mitterrand was a huge like an era in, in French. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That really brought the <clears throat> modern France. Huh? I remember when he was elected. I mean, I was a student. I was finishing my studies and I was living in Paris. And, um, I mean, I remember going up to, to, to Bastille. You mm-hmm. know, it was a big party. There were people all over the subway and it was like things were going to be different and the people were going to be heard. And, and then, you know, he was, he did two terms and kind of slowly, you know, those hopes and, right. uh, just kind of went, you know, kind of dissolved, kind away. of dived, but he left some wonderful things, wonderful buildings. Later on, of course. Huh? And, and, and he and the, even uh, has decorated the modern art on the freeway. Uh, I'm not, that was, that's uh, uniquely French, by the way. Yeah, you don't see that anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it was actually Jacques Long, who was the ministry, uh, the minister of culture had quite a bit to do with, uh, you know, bringing really the art. is all of that part of Mitterrand? Uh, yes. So the big, huge business park outside well, of Well, it was just, you know, okay, right. let's just join in as far as the business world. Right. We got Angel in Novato, California. Hello, Angel. Hi, how are you? Great. Thanks for calling. I'm glad to, to listen to you folks. Yeah. Do you have any questions or comments for Patrick or Sabine? Uh, no, uh, I, I don't. I, I just enjoyed uh, the discussion. Of course, we've only gone via train once. The rest of the time we've driven, which is a lot more fun, and you get a lot more out of just the places that you uh, happen to want to go see. And if you like one place a little bit more than uh, you thought you would, then you just stay long. You have that freedom versus uh, having to live by the uh, the uh, with the train schedule of the train. Did you manage okay with the language barrier and so on, driving around France? Oh, sure. It was, and there, there was no problem there. Uh, there's a lot of English being spoken and some Spanish out in the south, although it's more Catalan than, uh, than uh, the Spanish that they speak in, uh, say, Madrid. Yeah. Now, what, what sightseeing advice would you give people who are listening if they want to do something special in France? Well, I would advise that they go either Languedoc or, or Alsace. Languedoc or Alsace, that's yeah. interesting. So you like the fringe France. I beg your pardon? You like the uh, get away from Paris and get out into the countryside. Uh, uh, no, I love Paris too, and so does my wife. In fact, Normandy was uh, beautiful and, and uh, very interesting, and uh, 
good food, uh, as well as down in the, uh, I can't think of the area, but Amwa is uh, one of the cities yeah. that's, uh, that's there, good wine in that area. In fact, Burgundy is not only a gorgeous uh, place with all these flowing hills and grapevines, but their wine, especially there in uh, Bonn. Uh, oh, Bonn is great, yeah. yeah They've got uh, the Marché au Vin. Did you go there? Where? The Marché au Vin, the, the big wine market underground in Bonn. No, we didn't get to go see that. No. That's a brilliant uh, experience for the, especially, well, for any wine merchant or even a tourist who's just interested in developing a taste for good wine. You pay ten dollars and you get in and and you can uh, sample from him twenty different uh, wines that are opened. My in, God! In this beautiful uh, uh, subterranean kind of, uh, you know, oh, cellar. I think if happens. you would ask me uh, which of all the wines I would prefer, I, I think that uh, the Alsatian would be one, and then of course the Pinot Noir at uh, at, at the area we were just talking about in. In Burgundy, yeah, and I think it surpasses Bordeaux. All right. Hey, thanks for your call, Angel. Oh, sure. You're welcome. Okay, bye now. Bye. We have Carolyn on the line in Stroud, Oklahoma. Hi, Carolyn. Hi. How was your experience in France? Well, it was one of the most wonderful experiences of our lives. Why? We found the people to be just so helpful and so warm and inviting that uh, it was just a really good experience. And where did you travel? Well... My husband was working for the government, for the American government, in Paris for a week. And so I had a week to just travel or walk, actually. I walked most of the time all around Paris hmm. and saw all the sites. Then we took a train to the south of France. And everywhere we went, it was like God had someone standing there waiting to do some helpful thing for us. Wow. That's quite a compliment. What's the highlight of your South France experience? Well, I think one of the highlights was as we went on the train from Paris to the south of France, uh, there was a woman sitting there in a seat right ahead of us, and uh, I did we did take some French classes before we went, and so one of the things I learned to say, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but parlez-vous anglais was something I used uh, quite often, and she said, yes, I speak English. So... The whole trip from Paris to uh, close to Nice, we carried on a conversation with her, and she and her husband owned, or managed a five-star hotel at Saint-Paul-Evance, and she said that she would like to invite us to go home with her and stay in their hotel. Whoa. And she wanted, and I said, well, we were going to stay in a small, inexpensive hotel in Nice, and she said, well, how much are you, were you planning on paying? I was kind of embarrassed to say, since I knew she had a five-star hotel. But finally I told her, and she said, well, both of you can go home with me, and, and you can stay at our hotel as long as you'd like for that same price. So her husband met us at the train station in his little sports car, and we managed to get all of our luggage on our laps and in his mm-hmm. small trunk. And we, as we drove along the Riviera in his sports car, it was like a dream. Wow. Because there was a full moon and the sea was so blue, I'd, I'd never seen the Mediterranean before, and so it was just so beautiful. Isn't and then great? we drove up to their five-star hotel, and all these people came scurrying out to help us into the hotel, and I'm sure she gave us one of the finest dreams in the, that was there. Uh, with a view out on the balcony of the Riviera. And also, as we were driving on, or riding on the train, she wrote out an itinerary for us of uh, everywhere that we should go to 
sightsee while we were there, hmm. and they made arrangements for our rental car to be brought from the airport in Nice up to the door of the hotel. Wow, you sure hit the jackpot there, and that's that's not that unusual. I mean, so many people make good friends in their travels, and they're just uh, bowled over by the hospitality and the friendliness they discover. And as we were in the south of France going through Menton, we missed a lot of meals, lunch times, because it seemed that, you know, if you didn't have your lunch by two, then the restaurants were closed. So we were in Menton walking around looking for a restaurant, which we never found, but uh, there was a couple who walked up to me, and and I asked them, uh, parlez-vous anglais, and, and they said, well, they were from Canada. So I told her we were actually looking for a restaurant, but uh, we hadn't found it. So she, she said, well, the restaurants were all closed at that time of day, but would we like to come up to their flat with them? All right. Then they just invited us to come up there and eat their fruit and visit with them and relax for a while. And those were two of the many experiences that we had. Well, um, sounds like you had a great experience, Carolyn. Oh, we did. Yeah. It was just wonderful. All and right. We're going to have to run along now, but I want to thank you for your call. Well, thank you. Uh-huh. Bon, uh, au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> Pour le bon français. <laughs> I've been talking with Patrick and Sabine. We're learning about French culture, and um, I want to thank you guys for helping us out. You're very welcome. Merci Thanks bien. for having us. Avec plaisir. Avec à très with pleasure. With Avec pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. À très bientôt, j'espère. Au Languedoc, dans le Languedoc. Hein? Oui. Tu viens. I have no <laughs> idea what you said. You say oui. Oui. <laughs> bien sûr. Merci bien. À bientôt. Au à bientôt. See you in France. Sabine, Sabine, L. <laughs> Sabine, le toutier. Oui? Le teinturier. <laughs> put, call her Sabine, put. Le tea, Sabine, oh. le toutier. No, okay, listen. Four syllables. Le teinturier. You can do it. Le <laughs> toutier. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Superbe. Oh. Ah. C'est bien. Call us Patrick and Sabine. <laughs> <laughs> Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. This podcast of Travel with Rick Steves was brought to you by Travelocity. You can plan your next adventure by visiting Travelocity.com.